Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Buds and Beads Sparkling and Loose Leaf Teas. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. I was booking something for my... You know, I'm going on this little trip to Italy, Hamish, sure. on my own. The the great escape, I'm calling it. Nice. The Italian job. The Italian job, yeah. yeah. There won't be any jobs when I'm there. Um, I'm going with my best mate and I was messaging her. I've booked myself to go and see the three tenors on my own in Rome on the second night that I'm there. And I messaged her and it, it did a spell check, you know, like an auto spell. Mm-hmm. And I messaged her... Hi, Kate. I'm going to see the three trots. <laughs> Live in Rome. The trots. <laughs> She's like, who are the three trots? That's really stupid. Yeah, anyway, I thought I, that was funny. I wanted to talk about briefly comment your mum made. Last yeah. time we were here and we sat down, we were about to start recording and your mum was looking after Freddie and she knocked on the door and she said, can I come in? And we said, yeah, yeah, come on in. We haven't started yet. She goes, no sex going on in there, is there? <laughs> 
I don't know if she fully understands what this podcast is. It's yeah. not you and I having sex in your child's bedroom. That is definitely not what it is. But you can always guarantee, she's like me, my mum, you can always guarantee she's going to go lowest common denominator. Yeah. Yes. It's not sex in there, is it? <laughs> That's where you inherited it from. Yeah, okay. I did. I have inherited that. Makes the a lot filth. Of sense I've inherited now. a filthy sense of humour. <laughs> uh, I know we're talking about sex here, but I think love more specifically is one of our primal needs, Hamish, which is what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Before we get into the deep stuff, Vic, not sex again, other than your family and any other obvious, slightly boring response, what is the one thing you think that you would struggle to live without? There are a few, Hamish, but okay. I think my main one is dogs. Dogs generally, not even your, just your own. Just dogs in general. I think perhaps yeah. I was a dog before I was a human, maybe a Labrador. I'm always loving and I'm always hungry. I would be sad if I didn't have a dog in my life. We love our dog, Sandy. We don't mind that she hates everyone apart from us. It's quite mm -hmm. endearing. In fact, we find it quite funny that our little ball of white fluff, because she looks quite friendly, doesn't sure. she, Hamish, that she's a bit of an ankle biter. She's got a bit of sass. She has got a, sass. A stranger came up to Liz in the gym the other day and said, you've got Labrador energy. Which I think is one of the greatest <laughs> compliments you can give anyone. That is, she does actually. It's nice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, so the post people of the Sunshine Coast have to watch out because little Sandy, our little fluffy yeah. dog, will take your balls off, Hamish. Yeah, yeah. The guy that delivers your Hello Fresh, I reckon, has got a, a bit of a hate relationship with Sandy. <laughs> yeah, we know it, when it's delivered because Sandy goes mental. <laughs> she goes absolutely mental. I did read this week actually about something called the Happy Dog Hack. Have you heard about this? No. So it's funny you say that about Liz. It's apparently saving marriages all over the world and it and what happens is you are supposed to greet your partner like a dog so like if you were to come home from work liz would jump up at you and be really excited to see you and sort of lick your face and apparently it's a really it really helps people like reconnect interesting yeah i jumped up on john when he came home from work this week do you like it mm, well i think he liked it but he was a bit shocked when i urinated on his trouser leg right yeah <laughs> Did I tell you my theory on dogs? What? Which is that if you are speaking to a big dog, yeah. then it is always, who's a good boy? Oh, yes, who's yes. A, who's a, yeah, who's yeah. A, and yeah. it was a small dog. And, who's a me? Who's a good baby? That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Always. Yeah, I do talk to my dog in, dog in stupid voices. I think everybody does. I think it's allowed, I think. It's definitely allowed. Yeah. Also, the other things that are, are primal needs for me mm. are nuts. Not knobby nuts. <laughs> not knobby nuts. Porridge. <laughs> And hot baths, very hot baths that make my skin red, like I've got skin red socks I'm wearing. Milky porridge with honey. Simple things, really, are my mm. primal needs, Hamish. Although I do find it hard getting my hands on some tasty nuts at certain times of the year. Yeah, just, yeah. just, just on the season, when they're, when they're at their plumpest. Yeah, when the nuts are at their plumpest is when I enjoy them the most. Yeah. yeah. What about you? I reckon I actually could have guessed two or three of those of yours. Okay, yeah. yes. Okay, what about me? I didn't actually have to think too long and hard about this. I had an interesting conversation when we went home recently when my dad said the two best things he's ever bought, which is an interesting question to ask anyone. Oh, yeah, that is. Two best things he's ever bought were our trampoline and our ping pong table. Mm, okay, because obviously the kids, me and my brother, just spent hours, our whole childhood, quietly playing on these things outside. But yeah, it got me thinking what's the best thing I've ever bought and would not live without? Straight away, first thing that comes to my mind, 
my nappy bin. Oh, yes. What, what you're trying to tell me, Hamish, is that you don't recycle your nappies by using material oh, ones. Okay, you're naming and shaming me. Okay. <laughs> what you're adding because to you the... Because you did, and you have three kids for t- <laughs> ten years of your life. A mate of mine tried to do um, the recyclable material yeah, nappies yeah. once, and I went round there and she had them all lined up, all drying out, oh. crying, into a, crying into a porridge, probably. It was a nightmare. She was on the non-recyclable I ones on the next day. I do have mad respect for anyone that does it yeah, i so thought I. I would and to my shame i didn't even try yeah day one we came home with real nappies and yeah, it's, it's been like yeah, that ever since it's terrible isn't it yeah, if you put them in a bag afterwards it's seven more years to decompose yeah, yeah it's like double bad decomposure it's bad isn't it really bad but nappy bin it's a lot of fun to have that put yes. it in twist the top it disappears close the lid onto the next one yeah. it is honestly my favorite item gosh you are you are an odd when we went person. to england we bought one for there well, my mum bought one before we arrived. So got, we've, got, we've got one in England and one here. A mobile international one. nappy bins. Yeah. <laughs> international. The man. International nappy bins. I, think I may not be much of a guy, but I do own nappy bins in different countries. That is. It's like the song I Got Hose in Different Area Codes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the same. It's not quite as gangster, Hamish. No, it's, 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 it's my version of being gangster. Yeah. They cost about £10, these nappy bins, right? Yeah. That's funny. Today's episode is not so much about our wants, like nappy bins or plums. <laughs> we are instead going to be talking about our primal needs as humans. Okay, so what does alcohol have to do with our primal needs? It wasn't until recently that I did a little research into what our primal needs actually are that I discovered that alcohol is tricking us. Ah, oh, yes. Over the course of today, we're going to show you how alcohol is doing this and why it's so hard to give up as a result. Haim, over to you with the research. Pump it up, baby. Okay. So to put it bluntly, our primal needs as a species can be boiled down to five categories. With regards to alcohol, we'll only focus on two of these, but in case you want to impress your mates with a pub quiz, here are all five. Okay, number one, our psychological needs, air, water, food. Why are they psychological needs? Because you misread it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Our physiological needs, air, water, food and shelter. At least I psychologically understood that I've yes, got it wrong. very good. The second are our esteem needs. So that is regards to our self-esteem, respect and recognition from others. The third is self-actualization, our aspiration for personal growth and self-fulfillment. In other words, our purpose. The big two that we will focus on today are, give it, give it to me. <laughs> No, no, Theoretically. Just the words. Just the words. <laughs> so, safety and security. Okay, I know I sound like a health and safety officer here, but I promise it is actually more interesting than that when we get into it. And our social needs, our sense of love and belonging. Okay, so does everyone know what we're talking about so far? Not really. Nor do I. Right. Okay, the primal needs need to make sense for this episode. To okay, get, to get so it's this to work. Yeah, so let's begin with our needs to feel safe and secure. Here we're talking about our physical and financial safety. Interesting. All of my experiences of drinking Hamish have made me feel far from safe. I mean, I've only got nine fingers as proof of this. How the hell are you going to tell me that alcohol plays a role in making us feel safe? Well, Vic, we'll come back to your injuries in a second, but here lies the first of the contradictions I want to suggest alcohol provides to our primal needs. Okay, so let's begin with a few times that we, and I expect many of you, have drunk in order to feel safe. 
Mm, this is interesting, Hamish. I like it. So drinking to reduce anxiety, of course. Alcohol is a depressant that can temporarily reduce inhibitions and increase relaxation. Of course, we've all fallen for that one. Yes. I've certainly drunk before attending a social setting. Yeah, or something you don't really want to do. You feel like, oh, well, if I have a drink, it'll be all right. Yeah, it'll feel a little bit safer. So, yeah, pre-drinking before going out. You did it because you were nervous about socialising or and you thought maybe going out a little inebriated made you feel more confident and more safe in that situation. So true. Also, drinking as a distraction or a coping mechanism. This is where the financial security comes in too. Have you ever got pissed as a way of running away from real life problems? I certainly have. Finding safety in alcohol rather than facing up to a reality. All of us don't only want to feel safe, we actually need to. We've been programmed that way and as a result, we'll seek out anything that helps make us feel like this. You're reminding me here of Hamish, whenever I've watched any documentaries about really severe alcoholism, you can see that they're just drinking because they can't be ill again because it makes them so unwell by the end of the you know when you're that far down the line so they're trying to make themselves safe it's the same as heroin addiction Mm -hmm. you're chasing the dragon there you're chasing the hit because you don't want to feel ill because if you feel ill you feel unsafe yeah yeah, yeah. and so everybody's keeps topping up the drug so they keep their safety keep this wall around them so that they're not exposed to any emotional feelings or actual pain in their body from withdrawal Withdrawal, yeah Yeah, fascinating Alcohol has been around far less long than us humans have. You might remember how in our episode on sugar we talked about the fact that sugar used to be a scarce commodity, that when we stumbled across it, we could consume as much as possible. Well, humans have not evolved all that much, but sugar is everywhere, and we find it bloody hard to turn off the part of the brain that says, gorge it, eat all the lint balls. This might be our last chance. Well, exactly the same can be said about alcohol. Our primal brain says, I want to feel safe. This drink makes me feel safe, so drink the drink. Simple. The issue with this, of course, is that those feelings of safety induced by consuming alcohol are extremely short-lived. The longer-term effects of alcohol are quite the opposite. Just ask Vic's finger. Yeah, for sure. Now, you don't need to hear us tell you about some of the more dangerous situations that our consumption of alcohol have led us to, like Haynes getting lost clubbing on his own in the middle of an African bush. <laughs> the African bush. <laughs> <laughs> My numerous visits to hospitals and police stations, all that time one of us, and you'll guess it, skied down the main road in the UK. Actually, that story is quite good. Yeah, I, will I don't think it. I've heard that one before. I don't think I have told you it. Okay, so we're in Newcastle, it's winter, we're all drunk. And a friend of mine, I think he just either just got back from a ski holiday or was about to go on a skiing holiday. So he had the boots, the skis... The whole get-up, the goggles, the helmet with him at uni. And I was going up to pick up a friend of mine from the train station. I thought, fuck it, I'm going to... I'm going to ski there. <laughs> so I got all the gear on and I'm and it's quite flat where I was living in, yeah. uh, in in Newcastle. So I was skiing along the road by myself with the poles, you know, <laughs> to go pick up my mate from the train station. Off, uh, off wait, my nut. Was it snowing? It, there was snow on the floor, but it wasn't snowing. <laughs> That would have been funny. It reminds me of the time that I dressed as an underwater Bond girl at a party and no one else was dressed up and I went into sort of a blackout and came to in a nightclub dancing on a stage with a snorkel on and a knife strapped to my leg. (laughs) 
Strapped with like an actual knife strap. Yeah, or just a knife strapped. Yeah, the, 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 an actual knife sellotape to my leg. I was going to say sellotape. Like, do you own a knife strap? <laughs> no, I don't own a knife strap. It looks strap. much funnier when it's like a, a knife, like a butter knife sellotape <laughs> with that sort of. Crap it was sellotape. like at the Ministry of Sound or something, and everyone was like dancing and off their night and having a lovely time, and I was on the stage in a snorkel <laughs> and mask. Well, that one of me skiing reminded me like you know you do those things sometimes. You're doing something really weird, whether or not you're drunk or not doesn't really matter. Hmm. But you're doing something really weird, and then you realise that like, you're by yourself. Like, <laughs> this is only for your own, yeah, own entertainment. Own happens yeah. all the time to me, Hamish. Happens most it. days. I love it. Oh, dear. Of course, alcohol has led us both, as you can hear, into countless dangerous situations. Some we got away with and some we didn't. Give me four, Vic. Oh, four is easy, <laughs> Hamish. Blowing my finger off, having sex with a man with wooden teeth, being slipped rohypnol by a hippie with a cross tattooed on his head, sliding down an escalator, breaking my collarbone and then falling on asleep and being on a train on my own and ending up in the middle of nowhere and being scared. I was actually saying give me four as in because you can't give me five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the fact you put Oh, well, well done, Hamish. Problem. You deserve a little pat on the back for that joke. <laughs> Oh, and I forgot, I thought I'd share one about my best mate, of course, which I haven't mentioned for a while, which was when she woke up with the business card between her butt cheeks. Yes. Yes. I it's have... not an injury, it's not risk, but it was pretty funny. It's just too funny not to include. It's too. It's <laughs> always too funny not to include. <laughs> Did she call him? Yeah, she called him, she went out with him for a bit, yeah. <gasps> Oh yeah. my god! Imagine yeah. like when you you know when you go on a holiday and you and you talk to other people on the holiday. Sometimes it's usually yeah. like an older couple on a fortieth wedding anniversary, <laughs> yeah. and they go, oh, "How did you guys meet?" Imagine telling that story. Oh, he left his business card in my arse cheeks. My crack. <laughs> <laughs> but all of those were just physical dangers. What about the mental repercussions of using alcohol as a safety mechanism? Vic, for you, of course, alcohol was causing you anxiety. Can I actually ask you a quick chicken or the egg question? I'm not sure we've actually ever discussed this on the podcast or not when we're not recording our conversations. Mm. But did you drink because of your anxiety or was your anxiety a result of your drinking? It was a result of drinking. Originally, okay. it was a result of drug taking in mm -hmm. my early 20s. But my drug taking was a result of my drinking. Yeah. So my inhibitions would go and someone would pass me a pill and I'd whack it down my throat. I didn't even look whether it had a double dove on it or whatever it was <laughs> at the time. I just would whack anything in my mouth because... <laughs> <laughs> not the plums, not the plums. Not I would mature enough for you to say I would drug. whack anything in my mouth. <laughs> we're not mature on this we're podcast. We pretend to be, but we're not. But I would take any drugs when I was under the influence of alcohol. Mm. That led to me having anxiety. But as I grew up, my anxiety was caused by alcohol. Absolutely. Okay, so you never drunk to sort of quieten the voice. After I had panic, I did. Okay. So it was a very tricky pattern to undo. But I think I must say here, it's important to say how thankful I am for my anxiety. I know that sounds strange, Hamish, but mm. perhaps my anxiety was my own primal way of my body telling me to stop. Yeah. So actually, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be sat here with you if I hadn't had that anxiety. So my body had a primal reaction was to say, stop it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you anxiety because you're hurting me and this is how I'm going to tell you to stop. So I will say that to those listening, like sometimes your anxiety might be your body telling you to stop something. So you reckon if you'd not suffered from anxiety, you would still be drinking today? Absolutely. hundred percent. I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might have got out of control in other ways and I don't know, you can't predict it, but I don't think I would have given myself enough reason to stop. The anxiety was too much and I had to stop. 
Yeah. Have you ever thought what your mental health would look like if you had never drunk? I don't, no, because it's part of my story and I'm proud of my story. Yeah. And I'm proud to tell it here with you and, and on the podcast because it helps people and I would never, I wouldn't be the person I am without it. It's given me a lot of stories. It has given you a lot of stories. A few health issues and a few like mental breakdowns, but it's also given me a lot of stories. They're all just colour to the story. I think if I'd known what I know now about alcohol, I never would have started. Yeah. But, you know, that's impossible to say. Mm. That's just silly. There was a time in my sobriety when I got um, anxiety as well, Hamish, mm. which was another primal way of my body saying you, you're dealing with something was when Freddie nearly died. Yes. I went into sort of a PTSD state for about three weeks after he nearly choked to death. I was sober and I felt like at the time that I was regressing into old anxiety that I'd had before caused by alcohol. I actually had a sty the next morning. When I woke up, apparently you get styes if you've seen something shocking. It's a body, another way of, a primal way of your body reacting to what's Mm. happened. And I couldn't see out of one eye the next morning, which was really strange. So that was interesting that the anxiety did come back when I wasn't drinking. But again, it was, I felt like it was something that I had to go through. It was my body kind of getting itself back in line. And it was actually me relating that anxiety to the past that made it get a bit out of control. Mm -hmm. Having the fear of the fear is as frightening as having the fear itself. Only a person with anxiety would understand that line there. Because you you sort of create this fear and then it's like this never ending battle against it. So you're creating a monster that you can't fight against Mm -hmm. in the end. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah. Yeah, my my primal body, which is what we're talking about today, has had reactions before and it's helped me in every situation. What about you? I've been pretty lucky that I've always felt fairly healthy mentally. Like I never used alcohol to medicate anything in that regards, but I did often use it in those social interactions. And I've tried to think what effect that had. And I think it's narrowed it down to two things that I missed out on because I was drinking at social interactions all the time. Yeah. First one is the memories of those nights. You know when you're locked in conversation with someone and you're both drunk or tipsy or whatever it is and you come up with the best ideas you've ever had, like business ideas or the funniest little comedic skits or the funniest jokes. And then you never remember the next day. Yeah, like, so oh, true. I had so many missed opportunities yeah. through those. And also, you know, those friends often, or the people that you meet and seem to connect with it when you're drunk, you don't see them again. Yeah, but you're the, you phone them up, don't you? You're I'm the, the one. creepy one that phones them up. But God, I might, can I have I might, your phone number? But I'm the wooden boy. I tell you what, I do do that. I often take their number, but then I would forget the name, so I can't find the number in my phone. <laughs> that happened quite a lot. Hey, mate. So, you know, like Vicky from the Loos. Yeah. Like, that's what I should have saved your number as, but you don't always do it. So, yeah, I definitely miss out on that front. I think, secondly, it also delayed me doing the work. We talked about the work in a the recent work. episode. Yes, we love the word, the work. So, it wasn't until I was in my 30s and a parent and sober that I really got to meet the person that I was before alcohol. And the truth is, I, I like the person I was before alcohol. I like the person that I am today. And it's just a shame that it took me almost 20 years of socialising without that person before I got to reconnect with them. I know that all sounds guru. No, Hamish, actually, I'm beaming here, as you can see. I am so excited about you, this that you've written this in mm. because that takes a year of sobriety to get to that point right. to understand that and for you even though we call you the normal drinker that never had a problem you was like a university binge drinker and all of those things 
I know we go on about this and mm. talk because it, we are witnessing you in your, it's like a live process of your sobriety. And when you come up with lines like that, for me, five years on, I see the work in right. there. Yeah. You have progressed. You could never imagine that that was possible for you to have this sort of insight into yourself mm. just from giving up drinking. It's yeah. quite incredible. It's interesting, yeah. The way I sort of thought of it is that the you basically put you this is gonna be odd to say but you basically put you in a box and that you in the box is the one that goes out socializing for like 20 years if you yep. start drinking in your, in your teens and give up in your 30s like i did and then you can sort of that person out of the box is allowed to socialize and is probably quite good at socializing. It's probably lovely and lots of your friends will still love you but they just don't see them no because any social interaction when there's five or ten people and there's a pub or a club or a dance floor, yeah. they're, they're not invited the you out of the box, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. I actually made up a, not a meme, but I made up a quote the other day. I posted it on my Facebook page. I think I wrote, it's not about giving up alcohol. It's about remembering who you were before it and then finding out who you are after it. Yeah. I quoted myself, uh, Hamish. You did quote yourself. Yeah. I think that was becoming a theme of the show as I was quoting <laughs> <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> That's slightly awkward, isn't it? Oh, let's just quote ourselves on the podcast. Oh, Saves us the research. Fuck Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> let's just quote ourselves. <laughs> but it's very, very true. And I think it's lovely to hear you say those things. And often I say, to people say, you know, how do you go out without drinking? Mm. I'm like, I just go out and I really enjoy myself and I go home afterwards and it's fine and you think that your primal needs are to drink but of course they're actually not to drink yeah. and experience these things sober next up on which human primal need alcohol messes around with is our social needs exactly what we're just talking about humans are social creatures well not always I wish everyone would piss off a little more and leave me alone with my cup of tea and my Netflix but you know you get the point typically we are social and we require social connection and belonging we need affection companionship support from friends and family most importantly with regards to alcohol we need to form bonds and feel connected with others this is where things get very interesting. Alcohol seems to make us feel connected to others. Because of the dopamine release in the brain, we feel happy after drinking it. Social interactions seem more fun, which reinforces this sense of connection. Exactly. So typically alcohol is consumed in a group setting. It creates a shared experience. It fosters a sense of camaraderie and gives us the impression that we're all in this together. The same can be said of drug taking as well. Once we've drunk alcohol and find ourselves more relaxed and happier, we are often kinder, more welcoming or forgiving and open to strangers. Basically, we become fucking friendly, sometimes to our own detriment. Just ask the lady at the STD clinic. Sadly, all of the above is true up to a point. You can probably relate to being drunk at a wedding or at a music festival and feeling connected to each and every person there with you. Just as alcohol can make you feel safe, it can also make you feel connected with others. It is satisfying this primal need, but not for long. This is where you need to be wary. To name just a few examples of how alcohol makes us feel entirely disconnected, let us begin with violence. Now, it's well understood that there's a link between aggression and acute alcohol consumption, but there actually isn't a lot of clear evidence why this is until I did some research. Oh, we love okay. it. So you're with me, right? People are aggressive when they've had a drink. Yeah, Punch I know ups the stats the are high, like DV stats. DV, and all those. of course, yeah. but also, you know, 
outside every pub every Friday and Saturday night, someone will take a swing at someone yeah. for no reason. And we always, but sometimes we put it down to the type of alcohol they use. Like, yeah. oh, if he's drinking whiskey, he gets a bit violent Stella. on whiskey. Or Stella, Stella. yeah. Stella's Fighty the... juice. Yeah. Yeah, or if someone drinks wine, they get a bit slurry. Or gin, they get a bit emotional. Exactly. It's funny how the alcohols have different connotations, isn't it? Really weird. So I was like, why is that? People do not know why that is. Right. Here is why it is. Okay, Did excellent. some research. Go for it. Okay, so... I investigate the effects of alcohol on emotional face processing. And what is suggested that we have a reduced sensitivity to submissive signals, that is sad faces, and increased perceptual bias towards provocative signals, angry faces, after alcohol consumption. Oh, wow, okay. That is what plays the role. So we don't see people being kind. We see people as angry and aggressive. And that is why we have a swing at them. Okay, that's interesting. That so interesting? We, we've sort of set up in a way, in a biasly, if that's a word, that we're going to assume that someone is angry yeah. with us. And they've done tests. That that is proven, what I've just said. That's not just me making it up. Hey, that is so interesting. But it's not only complete strangers that we can turn on, but those that we supposedly love the most, which is scary. Alcohol is estimated to be involved in up to half of partner violence in Australia and 73% of partner physical assaults. Obviously, the importance is that we want to feel connected to others. The issue is that booze only makes us feel connected because of the booze. Those are not authentic connections, which mm. is what we always talk about. What we often felt were authentic connections at those weddings or music festivals that I described were only temporary. What kind of connection do we really value? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. A booze-filled one with lots of strangers in a field or a long-lasting one that turns into a friendship that might last a lifetime? Relationships built on drunken experiences rarely last. It is by spending quality sober time together that we really build the connections. I always see on TV shows, they say, oh, you know, what's what's the best thing in the world? I was watching something yesterday. They say, when you're on your deathbed, what would be the one thing that you that you feel like you missed out on? Sure. And it's always time with family. Mm -hmm. It's never work or it's never mates or it's never a nightclub or, or dinner. Or, it's always time with my family. And those connections, they're not drunken connections yeah. that you have with your family. They are long-term, deeply fulfilling, even if you go and get on with your family. Mm -hmm. There's a connection there that is unbreakable because you've got the same blood running through your yeah. body. And that's what we're talking about here. These fancy free, what's the word, fickle friendships that you get throughout your life. What I'm trying to say is, Hamish, is that family <laughs> runs thickly. <laughs> That's important to say. And that that's what I'll quote from you from now on. Vicky Vanstone. What I'm trying to say is family runs thickly. <laughs> Don't quote me anymore. <laughs> oh, here's the real kicker though, Hayne. When you do go sober, it's easy to forget the negative impacts that alcohol had on your primal need of connection. Because going sober can often feel isolating. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? I know. This is this is the contradiction. So you might be the only one not drinking at a party, the restaurants being split amongst everyone that share the bottle of wine except for you. Yeah. Everyone was hammered and acting silly last night. Except for you. This feeling of isolation is hard to avoid in your sobriety and just drinking seems like an easy fix to feel connected to everyone again, of course. If I just drink again, I'll be back in the gang with all my friends and family. Not only does booze con you into a false sense of connection, but it can even tempt you into relapse once you've given up. This is another example of our human needs not evolving at the same pace as the invention of alcohol. 
God, I really love this episode, Hamish, because I see where I've been going wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, all the people that I partied with, am I in contact with them anymore? True. And all of the people that came to my wedding, even, I was still drinking. Like, all my family, of course. But people that I used to work with and get pissed with, they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get sober, a lot of those just drop off naturally. But it's interesting to see the connections that I make now. True. I feel like are definitely more solid. I think what the core of this episode is, is you're going, you know, why is it so difficult to give up alcohol for so many people worldwide? And it's this, right? It's the fact that it satisfies our primal needs of needing to feel safe and needing to feel connected. But it is a con. Mm. Those are not long lasting effects. They are short term. And that is why so many people find it hard to give up. Like your body is is programmed to seek out those feelings Mm. and alcohol pretends to give you them and it's this getting happy thing all the time isn't it hamish mm-hmm. it's like now i could walk through a field of daisies for example hamish or i do most mornings mm, sure <laughs> but i feel a sense of joy and happiness i don't feel a fake sense of joy and happiness which which is what i got with alcohol i don't get a fake high you know i get an actual high from very natural things <laughs> which is quite incredible really because i never thought i could get joy from simple life you are simple yeah <laughs> It actually doesn't take much. I think you're right. I'm quite simple. It doesn't take me much to bring me joy When anymore. I come in, you're alone just laughing at a blank wall. <laughs> yeah. well, it's like me being the human podium, laughing at a floor of at a nightclub. Floor, yeah. I've got to go. I've got to go because our dog's going mad and I'm presuming she's attacking the um, postman. Wait a second. This basically happens every episode, to be honest. She loves her dog, but she's a complete psycho. A bit like Vic, really. Nice, but unhinged. Oh, she's coming back. I don't know if I'll edit this bit in or out or not. Depends who's editing, really. If it's her, probably won't make the cut. There's a guy out there fixing a drain and she's just like nearly ripped his balls off. So we were right. Right, let's carry on. As ever with this podcast, we always encourage you to look at the core of what led you to drink and perhaps more importantly, what led you to stop. We've shown you over the course of this episode how alcohol has sneakily provided you with some of your primal needs, but only in the short term. Remember the long term. Play forward the tape. Play forward the tape. Play, the Play tape forward the tape, young lass. Shakespearean yes, yeah. Play forward the tape. Play the tape forward and yeah. do the work before deciding to pick up the bottle again. Yeah. And with a couple of quotes, not one of yours. Well, yeah, not Ernest Hemingway again, oh. shall we? Or, oh no, you have. <laughs> what the fuck no, is it? No, 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 no. This is from this is from Liz Hemingway. I don't know if Liz Hemingway is a relation, friend, oh. wife. So I've gone from not Ernest's but Liz. No, because I because I was like, well, God, Liz has written this. Oh, that I thought good. you meant your wife had written it. You're more than welcome what to you credit here to is, her. This is one from Liz rather than Ernest Hemingway. So I thought, oh, it was your wife, Liz, oh, had you written, the day I became free of alcohol was the day I fully understood and embraced the truth that I would not be giving up anything by not drinking. But I thought Liz hasn't given up alcohol, has she? Nah. No. <laughs> maybe that's her next year. Yeah, maybe. We'll yeah. never know. Yeah. What about you? Disappointing affirmation, please. Okay, this is nice. You can fuck up anything you put your mind to. Yes, that's actually true. Just remember that. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have you got any, got any news, Hamish, you want to <sighs> pass on to the people? Um, not pregnant. Not pre- uh, you're not pregnant. Not pregnant. No. Healthy. 
Oh, yeah, he looked pretty healthy. Last week, I had to run away midway oh, yes. through our that's podcast. What, that's what we were going to say. He went pale as a ghost. Yeah. To be honest, I felt okay during the first one. And then during the second one, which was, I've just edited it, why giving up isn't always enough. Yeah. I felt pretty sick from the start. Did you? I re-listened to that episode last night. I actually came came through okay. But I was like, I need to run away from you. Yeah. I always feel like I need to run away from you because you, you generally make me feel unsafe. But I had to run. It seems like the laxatives that I put into your coffee may have worked. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to point the finger, <laughs> but I felt fine that I drank your coffee and then I threw up all afternoon. Well, bend over. I'll point the finger. If it might can. help you with your diarrhea. And I'll cough. Yeah, you just... <laughs> It's all about balls, this episode, isn't it? This would not be the only episode that is yeah. only about balls. <laughs> Basically, all our sober Series awkward. six, it's the balls series. Not, it's not really about alcohol. We're a con. Exactly, we're the con. Our primal needs are to release a podcast that we secretly is about testicles. That's it. We'll rename the podcast at some point. The bollocks. The, the awkward bollocks. A load of awkward bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> if you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. Have to share it. Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out 
all my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes, yes. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny-weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. (laughs) 